I'm Lloyd Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. The bar exam, the dreaded bar exam, uh, the gatekeeper to our entire legal profession. But is it fair? Does everyone actually have a fair shot? How many times does it take to pass the bar exam? We will get some insight on all of that and more through my conversation today with Yolanda Ingram. Yolanda is the director of the Access to Law School Education Programs, Admissions and Financial Aid at the University of Pennsylvania and a great friend of mine. Welcome to the show, Yolanda. Thank you for having me, Lloyd. I'm excited to talk about this primarily because I'm not taking the bar exam anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Neither am I. (laughs) It's one of those things that you just want to kind of put in the back of your head. You know, once you get through it, you know, you have to get through it. It's a necessary evil uh, in order for you to practice law. Uh, But then truly, once you get beyond the bar exam, uh, you don't really want to talk of it anymore. But we have to talk about it some more. Uh, for the future of our profession and for the future diversity of our profession. So before we even get there, break down what your role is. What is it that that you do and how does it uh, assist at all with uh, the bar exam and providing more access to um, uh, law school graduates? Absolutely. So uh, interestingly enough, Lloyd, when you and I first met, I was in a role um, at a different law school where my entire job was bar support director and all i did was bar prep um with students starting in their 3l year and continuing on throughout the summer Mm -hmm. so that was my full-time role for another law school and there are lots of professionals um great legal educators out there who that is all they do every day Well, interestingly enough, about a little over a year ago, I stepped away from the role of um, bar prep director. And actually my role now as director of access to law school education programs is on the opposite end, really, helping people to get into law school. I direct, develop, design, pipeline programs for people who have been historically underrepresented as lawyers. But... What I always say when I'm talking to people in the bar prep world, the academic support world of law or, you know, pipeline world, as we call it, it is all connected Mm -hmm. because the pipeline may start before law school. I say it actually starts in K through 12. Some people would say, you know, college, but it does not end until licensure if licensure is the goal. And so what I was seeing in my capacity as a bar director, because you can look at the data and you can see who's taking the bar and because we have to report it to the American Bar Association, all law schools do, and it breaks it down by, you know, race and and gender. And you see how many people were sitting for it, how many people were passing and just taking one law school out of you know and this is not just nothing negative against that particular law school it's pretty much the same at most law schools in this country the numbers of african americans in particular and also latino were so small that were even graduating and sitting for the bar and then you look at how the bar passage rates were for those groups and they were not passing Um, by and large at the same rate that their, you know, white counterparts were. So for me, I, you know, I've looked at that for almost 20 years. I've been in legal education in a capacity at three different law schools where I worked with bar passage and bar support. And it was, you know, one was in the Midwest and two of the others have been in Pennsylvania. But I saw this same theme play out time and time again. 
So part of my solution was to go work on the front end, trying to get more people in the pool, which is what I do now. But I'm still very closely tied to that world of bar prep and academic support. Um, I actually uh, work with a group, a national group that is called ACE, A-A-S-E, um, and they work on bar prep and, and bar support and what we need to do to change the bar exam, quite mm. frankly. So that was probably a much more long-winded answer. No, to but that gives me a lot because we're going <laughs> to dig into all of that. We're going to dig into all of that. And you talked about uh, one particular piece at the very uh, outset, and you talked about if licensure is actually the goal. Uh, and it's important for us to make that distinction because, of course, there are things that you can do with your JD that are not absolutely practicing law. But for uh, those jobs that do require you to, uh, to pass the bar, um, uh, I want to read off some, some of the data and so we can kind of get into that and break that down. So 78% of the uh, law school graduates in 2021 uh, obtained a job that requires passing the bar. Breaking down that figure, 81% uh, for white graduates. 77% for Hispanic graduates, 76% for Asian graduates, 69% for Native American or Alaskan uh, Native graduates, 66% for Black graduates, and 58.5% for Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander graduates. And so what, what I gleaned from that, I mean, you know, what stood out, again, just kind of talking about my own personal experience and, and um, uh, thinking about myself when I was in their shoes, that shows me that about two thirds of the black law school graduates are landing jobs, uh, you know, that require the bar exam. And, and the time frame there was within 10 months, within 10 months of taking and passing the bar exam, two thirds of the black law school graduates are landing those jobs. And that's compared to 81% of white law graduates. What in the world is causing a disparity like that? So now we've gotten beyond the bar exam and we're trying to actually just get them employed. What is the problem? Well, the problem is is multifaceted, and I, I often wish it was one thing. So I'd be like, okay, this is one thing we can laser focus in on it and fix it, and you know that'll be great. But uh, it's multifaceted and multi layered. So in terms of the employment outcomes, um, well, you know I don't like to sugarcoat things. I like to be really direct. So yeah, that's there's what we need. There's both immediate and, and historical factors that are impacting that, right? Okay. Um, if you go back and look at the act, there's a lot of research and scholarly articles out there uh, that most, a lot of them came out during the pandemic around why the bar exam was initially even created, right? It mm. was created as a barrier to access. Who were they trying to bar from access? They were trying to bar exclude, <laughs> using the double bar there, they were right. trying to exclude everyone except uh, white males who were Protestants mm. and heterosexual. I mean, that they were that specific, like they didn't want immigrants, they didn't want people of color. Nope. Like, so we, lawyers have not always had to take this exam to enter into law practice. Oh, that's it, interesting, um, okay. Yeah, no, it was, it, it, and it was, I mean, and it was very deliberate and intentional. Um, and there's 
documentation out there in ABA minutes, in different state bar minutes, that this, like, we're not going to allow immigrants and and uh, black people to sit for the bar. South Carolina is one of those states. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's researchable, and, it, and it's real, you know? And so you say, okay, well, yeah, that's one thing. That was a long time ago. But that is the historical backdrop that you have to put this in context with, right? Um, so you have this exam that was created to exclude people. And then that is the test in order to be able to practice law and practice law, right? Not just a, you know, JD preferred position, but a position where you're going to need your law degree. You have to get through that exam first and foremost. Right. So that is a, a big portion of like what's causing the disparity but i mean we also have to say hiring practices as well right what yeah. what are firms actually doing in their hiring practices are they doing the same thing that they were doing when let's say someone like me who graduated from law school in 1995 that they were doing back then and it's what 2022 now yeah. are they still doing the same thing by and large they are they're still going to certain law schools they're certain they're only talking to certain students uh, if they go to other law schools beyond certain elite schools, they're only talking to, you know, top 10 or top 20%. Yep. Um, and it's almost to me looking at it from the outside looking in now as someone who's practiced at a big law firm, it's almost like it's, it's intentional that you're just trying to basically get the same people that you've always gotten. Yeah. Not, the definition of insanity, right? The doing, doing the same thing over and over again, over and expecting and over. maybe organically there would be different results. No. Yeah, no, it's not going to happen. And so this is that that is a big part of the problem. And then, you know, human nature is and, and, you know, we're all human and we're guilty of this, that you want to it's more it's comfortable. It's easier to be around people who you have similarities and things in common with who you feel you know comfortable with right away. You know, but, you know, our dads both golfed at the same country club. You know, you already have an immediate sense right. of familiarity. Well, that doesn't do a person whose parents who've never golfed much use uh, when they're, you know, trying to, you know, get into this very um, elite profession. You know, we don't have those basic things in common. So we have to appreciate, yeah, we probably do have a bias and bias is not necessarily a bad thing. You know, I, I might have a bias for tall men. My husband's tall. It's okay. <laughs> but, <laughs> But but that yes, as it relates to your personal preferences, fine. Right. When we fine. start talking about this in the professional context, we've got to mitigate those can biases. Become, and then, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to talk of you, but then it can become problematic. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we have to, and first we have to acknowledge that, though, right? So that we can, you know, address it and move beyond it, and and that takes concerted effort and more work, you know. It's not the knee jerk reaction thing. So we need people inside of firms and not just a person. We need people within the firms, people who have the, the clout and the power to say, you know, what we've been doing has not been working. Perhaps if we're really committed to diversity and not just giving it lip service, what can we do different? And there's a lot of resources out there, um, you know, now, uh, has a diversity guide and i was you know looking through it reviewing it I've, I've read it before but before we were going to talk today i wanted to kind of look at what they said are best practices in hiring and 
I can assure you there are many, many firms that do not even know that this thing exists, much less are actually using or trying to use some of the rec the best practices in terms of diversity and diversity hiring. So I, I want to make sure that all the listeners uh, are able to follow along. And I know you referenced NALP. NALP is the uh, National Association for Law Placement. Uh, and so NALP actually uh, does compile and report out a lot of this data, uh, much of the data that I talked about earlier. Uh, and there was a recent article that quoted some of that NALP data that mentioned um, there are huge gaps in the bar passage rate by race and ethnicity. Uh, and the racial gap in bar exam pass rates actually got worse in 2021. Um, uh, it was between black and white law graduates, you look at them, the first time passage rate, that gap, it went up to 24 percentage points last year. What has caused that? How is it getting worse, Yolanda? We've got people like you. Uh, how is it getting worse? So several things have impacted that. Definitely COVID and the pandemic and the situation that grads were under during that time probably exacerbated it. But also you got to think about what was going on before some of these people sat for the bar because they were moved rapidly to online learning instead of in-person learning. That's so right. I think that played a role. Um, also, a lot of uh, law schools felt that it would be unfair, and I would, I would agree with this assessment, to then do the same grading curve, grading skill that they did prior. Uh, in prior oh, I didn't know that. Right. Yeah, no, there were a lot of schools that said we're going to uh, grade pass fail. Huh, okay. Uh, so I think, you know, students were maybe not able to as adequately assess their performance if you're getting a pass versus, you know, getting a B minus or C plus. Right. You know there's still work to do there. So I think that probably factored into it somewhat. Um, but in the more immediate, I think where it was, and I saw this firsthand in 2020 when I was still doing bar prep, a lot of my students who were first generation or first generation low income, they were now put into, they planned to study for the bar one way for two and a half years, right? And then COVID happens and now they are no longer able to leave home every day and go to the library right. or go to a public right. or private place to study or a quiet place. Um, people, you know, there were in their house who normally would have, wouldn't even been in the home because of COVID, you know, people were, it was, it was a lot of emotional and financial upheaval, right? No type of way you want to study for the bar, but. Uh, and we have to, we have to note though, that also COVID had a disparate impact on communities of color, you know, so you're talking yes. about multi-generational families who are now living together. Maybe you have to care for, you know, an elderly parent or grandparent or an aunt or an uncle, et cetera, or we do not have um, a way for you to be able to um, send your kids to school. I forget you being home. Your kids are also home. So you're also trying to do a virtual kindergarten for your kid. A lot of different factors at play there. And again, disproportionately impact the communities of color. Absolutely. You just took the words right out of my mouth. I actually um, was worked. So part of what I did in my bar prep program over the course of the so most people probably don't know this, but um, if you've been to law school, you do know this. Generally, you graduate in May and then you spend your summer, you know, the eight to 10 weeks between um, graduation and July, the last week of July when the bar exam is, is offered, you know, studying for the bar. I had a spectrum of students, some who were in the house with 10 people 
some of the people were sick, people were losing their jobs, unemployed, they were caregivers, they were doing all these things while studying for the bar in this very discreet amount of time, right? Um, and some had to work. Let's just be honest. If your, your partner or whoever supporting you has lost their job, you're going to have to go out there and, yeah. and get a job. You know, it, it may be a, you know, um, I can't even think of the word now. I was thinking Uber and Lyft, but I didn't want to give them a shout out. I was trying to, <laughs> like, car share. Not, not the side hustles, but, you know, the, those type of jobs like Instacart, there's like a word for it. But anyway, but you might have to do that instead of studying for the bar. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, I had students who were saying, oh, yeah, I'm just sitting here at the shore in my beach house studying for the bar. 10 to 12 hours a day, then I'll go for a swim, then I'll have a nice dinner. My parents are subsidizing this. It is, you know, and, and to some of my students' credit, they were like, I realize how fortunate and blessed I am and that a lot of my, my peers are not in the same boat. So yeah. you think you have this person who barely has any time to study, um, barely has an environment to study in, and they're taking the same exact test is this person who all they did was study and relax, study and have downtime. And the bar exam studying alone by itself without any external factors is stressful enough. Let me give a first uh, person perspective on that, you know, if I can conjure up those old memories. But uh, truly, as you mentioned, I mean, it's literally, you know, you, you celebrate uh, from graduating law school and literally that following Monday, I mean, life shuts down. I had a uh, a come to Jesus talk with my entire family. If there's good news, don't call me. If there's bad news, don't call me. I'm not answering. And you really do treat the bar exam, that, that whole prep period uh, following graduation, leading up to the exam, as if it is now your new full-time job. Uh, and so I devoted, you know, the 40 plus hours a week to bar exam. You wake up, bar exam until you go to sleep. And then you wake up again, bar exam. Uh, and this was a mixture of, for me, of course, back then, uh, in-person lectures. Uh, and then I had the CDs I put in the car so I could listen to, you know, and then you had the workbook. Yourself, oh, I'm dating myself. <laughs> I'm dating myself. You had the DVDs you would play at home, you know, while you're eating, you know, you all of those things. I mean, because you really, you understood the gravity of this, you know, particularly if you already have a job offer, mm -hmm. uh, you know, your job does depend on you passing the bar. Uh, and so to your point, point well taken, I was doing that. And I guess I was one of those, uh, uh, I, I think they, the term is K through J, you know, I just went straight through, you know, from mm -hmm. uh, high school to college to, to law school. And so, you know, I was young, I didn't have any kids, I was unmarried, all of those things. So no, I didn't have the beach house, but I very much so had an environment that was conducive to me being able to learn. It would have been great to have some of that uh, subsidized uh, money there that you talked about the beach house uh, students having, but nonetheless, I at least had the environment. So I cannot imagine, you know, when you, you know, um, you add on COVID, uh, you know, there's a global pandemic, there's a, there's a racial reckoning happening, you know, social justice movements, uh, you know, you're talking about the virtual environment. Uh, I needed to get up every day and go see someone live in person to give me those lectures, to get me prepared for the bar exam. This was a, a whole brand new bag of tricks. There's one other piece to it though, that I wanna make sure that we highlight, and that's the cost of the exam. You know, if we're talking about all these inequities around, you know, your environment, the cost is an inequity that we've got to bring up because bar prep, those courses that you sign up for, they range from anywhere to around $1,000 to $4,000. And if you I, wanna add, oh, please, please. 
Yeah, I definitely want to unpack that piece, but can I go back one step um, oh, sure. in particular? The other thing, and I, I told you all, I, I came out of law school in 1995. So <laughs> things we did not have at that time, smartphones mm -hmm. and this level of connectedness that we have, mm -hmm. which can often lead to a, a level, hard to shut the world out, right? Yes. So, I think that also adds a layer that I students are still so connected and unable to completely disengage um, in the way that it sounds like you and I both did, right? Yeah. Um, and so that piece of it too, I think um, goes unappreciated a lot because, you know, technology has just woven itself into our lives. You know, even as I was getting on to to have this conversation, I'm like, okay, let me turn off my email because if an email pops up, I'm thinking about that instead of right. being in the moment here with you. So you got to realize, especially when these students are now doing all online learning, they have to be on their laptop, you know? And so then that temptation of, well, let me just take a quick look over here at social media. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, that that is another factor that i you know there there's some neuroscience and people scientists and people out there doing work in that space that's not my expertise but definitely i think that plays a role too now the cost now you're getting to where i i i live and breathe so i was so fortunate because i i came out of law school i was kind of like you i went straight through um i got an offer from a big firm they gave me a stipend to study that yep, summer same. Um, so, you know, but of course that's another level of pressure, right? All right. They gave me this money. <laughs> I gotta pass you got to perform. Now you got to perform. I, I got to show up. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and it, and it is still, and I went to the classes in person and all that, you know, so that was another level of accountability. People looking for you, like, where are you at? You know, you need to be here in class, um, versus being in isolation studying, but paying for that, I fortunately had some other resources to pay for that. But it the the amount that bar prep courses cost, and not only that piece, but also the piece of paying for the application, right? The exam itself, yeah, the application. Uh, you know, and there's a fee for taking it on the laptop, which nobody handwrites the exams anymore. So why don't we just pretend like we just gonna put that fee in there? It's almost like buying your seat on the plane on some of those airlines. <laughs> so what I'm gonna do? Stand up? Then they're gonna charge you for the pretzels and uh, <laughs> right. bathroom pass. I yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, so, you know, and I do appreciate the Board of Law Examiners does have some overhead and some costs because they're actually purchasing this exam from another entity, the NCBE, the National Conference of Bar Examiners. And then also there's two components when you're sitting for the bar, the character and fitness, and then that's a whole application process, which is also very time consuming. And people don't appreciate, you have to go back and dig up all these records from your past of where you've always lived. So there, there's some constraints around that too. You've got to take time away from, you know, what you're doing in law school your last semester to, to focus on that. Uh, but the money and paying for these, these courses, you don't get, I mean, as you can borrow private loans. Not everybody can borrow private loans. You right. either have to have a good credit score or a co-signer with a good credit score. Right. So where are you getting this money from? And what I used to talk about before students even started law school, you need to start setting a little bit aside <laughs> now <laughs> every month to pay for this. Absolutely. Which, you know, is hard to do because your first year of law school, you're not supposed to work. 
And I used to joke, but kind of seriously, tell your parents, tell your family, tell anybody that loves you for Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever the holiday, your birthday, that's what you want, a contribution to your bar prep course <laughs> instead that's so of- That's very real. Yes, and it, and it, you know, it shouldn't have to be that way, but that's a part of why the playing field is so unequal and unlevel, especially when you come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. That all plays a part into it. And I will Which say, also sometimes cuts across racial and ethnic It, it definitely does. And the stress of that on top of all the other stress, you know, for those of you who may not realize it, legal profession, practicing law is one of the most stressful professions there is. And it's only compounded and exacerbated when we add all these other factors, you know, that quite frankly, some people don't have to worry about or think about because, you know, they have someone they know who can just write a check. That's right. <laughs> right. Well, and if you're looking at, uh, you know, as I was um, uh, looking into what these, uh, what they cost now, because I know what they used to cost back then, but somewhere between $1,000 and $4,000 for a bar prep course, or if you want a private tutor, they're looking at around $150 an hour. If you don't have that, then you're going to try to just wing it, right? Right. I got to pass the exam so I can get a good paying job. So I'm just going to forego the, the bar exam prep course. And I will tell you, in my experience of 20 plus years of being in law schools, I have yet to meet the person, even the number one person in their class who can pretty much go in there and sit for the bar exam without a bar prep course, because it's a different skill. It's a right. different set of skills. Right. Um, and then I hope we get to this part because I have a lot of issues with how, how the bar exam itself is even structured. Um, and law school doesn't prepare you necessarily for the, the bar exam. A lot of people might argue that that's what law school is supposed to do, but law professors look at their role, most of them, as I'm preparing you to practice law and be a lawyer. I'm not preparing you to sit for a bar exam. Right. So, there, no, let's, let's talk about that now because there is a movement or, or at least, you know, there are some, some critics uh, who say, listen, you've heard the statistics. I mean, you know, it's not getting any better. In fact, it's getting worse. You know, we've got these gaps. These gaps are very much so... Um, uh, corresponding to, you know, racial and ethnic lines, uh, social economic status, et cetera. It's time for some bar exam reform. The design of the test in and of itself, you know, it it's reliance on memorization. It relies upon you having this very perfect atmosphere for you to be able to study. What would that reform look like? You know, are you a proponent of that? What, what is your response? So after tw I became, I was always a proponent of the bar exam needed to change. And I had some suggestions in mind. So I'm glad I got this platform so I can finally get them out there. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But but after 2020, I, I I jumped on the abolish the bar bandwagon. I'm I'm abolish wholly, it. Abolish it. I'm wholly okay. on board with that. Okay. Um, we really need to say, you know, let's come up with a system where when people graduate from law school, they can be put under, you know, some type of um you know, almost like apprenticeship or just supervisory loosely, you know, for another attorney. But I, I, I think they still need to have the character and fitness part, obviously, but actually sitting for a two day exam the way we do it now, it, it does not prove your competency. It does not prove you're more ethical. Um, the rationale that the board of law examiners in most states give is that we're safeguarding the public, but does it really though? So the public in Wisconsin is not safeguarded. They've <laughs> never had a bar exam. And really? I, I, yes, and ironically, well, I take that back. 
if you go to law school in Wisconsin and there's only two and yeah. graduate, you are in, automatically admitted to practice. I'm sure they have to do character fitness background, but they don't take sit for the bar. If you come from another state, which I actually had a student from from graduating from law school in Pennsylvania who went to practice in Milwaukee, he had to sit for a bar in Wisconsin. I was like, whoa, the, the irony of that, but yeah. So no, and now there's a couple of other states. I wanna say Oregon and Virginia, but don't quote me on that. I could have the states wrong that have just decided they're gonna have alternate pathways uh, to being licensed as opposed to sitting for a two-day bar exam. So, you know, I hope that movement takes, I mean, maybe just keep the bar exam as an option, but have some alternate pathways. Now, if we keep it as an option, what does it look like? Mm -hmm. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they're coming out with the next gen bar exam right now. Next gen, okay. Yes, and it will, the first class to sit for that will be the students who will be entering in fall of 2023. So that's gonna be July of 26. The next gen, I guess in short for next generation, yeah. bar exam will be administered. Um, and, you know, I'm not really gonna speak to what that looks like. You can go to the National Conference of Bar Examiners website and look at it and they have all that, but it's, they're doing away with the memorization part as far as the MBE multiple choice questions. That won't be on there. So I say yay to that, that, that is huge. Because as a practicing attorney, you, you know, and I know, like telling people to memorize the law, like that is actually the exact opposite of what lawyers should do, right? Yeah, that actually may even lead to malpractice. If you exactly. say. <laughs> I was like, how do we reconcile this? If the first thing you should do is research the law and make sure that it is still sure. good law. For sure. <laughs> the reason why we shepherdize, right? <laughs> so no, we should never try to memorize and then do multiple choice questions. That 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 is horrible. That needs to be done away with. And hopefully, this next gen bar exam is doing away with that part from what I from what I've read. Um, so, but how would I design the bar exam if I could wave my magic wand, if we were gonna keep it in some iteration? First of all, I would start testing people at the after the first semester of law school, you take those foundational courses. Yes. Let's go ahead and give a partial bar exam, make it essay, make it what we call performance test where you get a, a project and you have to answer that. Um, and 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 t and show us that you've learned those subjects while it's fresh. While it's fresh, okay. And let's say out of those, let's say you took four and you did you passed three, but you didn't pass the fourth one. How about we just let you take that section over again, kind of like what they do in med school with the boards, instead of having to take the whole thing over again. Right. So one of my biggest issues with the bar exam and why it's so high stakes and stressful is they only offer it twice a year, July and February. So you gotta wait another six months if you don't pass a portion, keep in mind because you don't hit whatever that pass, minimum passing score is, you might've missed it by a point. I've had that actually happen to people. Mm -hmm. Why in the world would you make them wait six months to sit for the entire thing all over again, right? So that is, I've always had that ax to grind with the bar exam. Um, and then that next semester, same thing, what courses you have, take the, that portion, you know, and then at the next two years of law school, if there's any sections you didn't pass, take those before you graduate. People could be employed right after graduation. You really could celebrate at graduation because you could start your job in June. You're, you're done before you graduate. 
I, I think that's a much better way to do it. We give the MPRE, which is the multi-state professional responsibility exam, about six times a year. Why can't we give these sections? And you of, take it during uh, law school. And you take it during law school. So, you know, again, it's multiple choice. I'm not a fan of that part of it. But still, there are better ways to do this. And for to be honest, the only reason we haven't done this is just because that that mindset that's resistant to change. Oh, this is the way we've always done it. You know what? You know, and honestly, I hate to say it, but a lot of what we do in legal education is basically mental hazing. And it's mm. like this person went through it this way. So they want to see the next person come through it this way. If we were a fraternity at a college campus, we would get kicked off. <laughs> because <laughs> I love that analogy. <laughs> we're constantly off the yard. Yes, we constantly are doing things that I'm like, now, why are we doing like this? You would think we don't want more people um, to become lawyers, especially not more people that come from, you know, underrepresented backgrounds to law. Right. I'm just saying um, we there's so much room for change and improvement with the bar exam. And there, there can be multiple pathways to gaining licensure and not just the way we've always done it. So, so one last thing that I want to make sure that we uh, we touch on because you mentioned a a large group of individuals and, and it's listen even under the most ideal um, uh, environment and and uh, circumstances you could not pass the bar exam it happens it, it could happen with by one point right and so you go to take it again you mentioned it's only given you know a limited number of times twice a year so you go beyond that first take and that is what um, you know from my research is called the ultimate bar pass rate mm -hmm. and this is the percentage of grads who pass the test within two years you know or two times, if you will. Mm -hmm. So for white law graduates, the ultimate bar pass rate is 94%. So, you know, you take it a couple of times and you, you knock that thing out of the park. For black law graduates, there's an ultimate bar pass rate of 81%. So after two takes, Shalanda, I've worked in a law firm. After two takes, many of the law firms or any employer, insert any employer here, DA's office, et cetera, they cannot keep these graduates employed at, these, at their offices, at their firms, et cetera, because you haven't passed the bar exam yet. We've given you one, two times to take it. So I'm sure jobs are lost. So now it becomes even harder for you to try to sit for that bar exam because as you mentioned, now we have the other external you know, factors at play, right? Now I'm unemployed. You know, how am I gonna get my bills paid? I have to pass the bar exam. You know, you've still got the, the kids, you know, you've still got life, all those other things. So what happens to those folks who are two plus bars under their belt have not passed it yet are, are they are they changing careers altogether are they is there just a general sense of a lack of motivation or what happens there so just to back up a second um when you we initially started you mentioned the 10 months out is when they track where you know the placement rate and a lot of times the reason why they do that is because a lot of places in the government sector uh, can't afford and simply will not hire anyone until they've passed the bar, right? Um, and because they can't, because they're not licensed and they need them to go to the court if it's like the DA's office, for example, yeah. in mm -hmm. public defenders, place like that. Um, private sector, a little bit different. They can bring you aboard and, and give you a couple of bites at the apple. So um, looking, but but to get to your, your question, I've worked with people who are repeat bar takers. And the first time someone fails the bar, and I always, my ma ma mantra was always one and done. 
like, you know, like what it, I, my kids both play basketball. So one and done always conjures up for me, you know, like the, the player that's going to Duke and then they're going to head on off to the NBA. But <laughs> I, I want my students to take the bar and pass it the first time. But it doesn't always happen. Part of the reason why I, I tell people, you know, leave it all on the table, make the sacrifices now, study as much as you can that first time around, because there is such a stigma associated with not passing the bar there the is. first time. There is. And it takes such a toll on people's mental health. I literally am almost afraid to reach out to people um, who don't post their bar results and say, I did it to say, you know, what happened? Like, I want to be there as a comfort and a support, you know, and give them some resources, say, you know, it's not the end of the world because it's really not, but it feels like it. <laughs> but Yolanda, don't forget. So back up. You talked about earlier, you know, the social media aspects and and just generally, you know, like this this virtual environment we're in. They post the names on the internet as to sure. who passed, and, mm -hmm. and clearly that means who did not pass if your name is not posted on on the website. Everyone, you're you're a recent law graduate, right? So so many of your friends and your connections on LinkedIn and Facebook, etc., they're recent law graduates, so they're posting. You're seeing it every day. 30, you get the exam result for your state on the same day. So yep. literally everywhere you turn, you're seeing the people who passed the bar and you're the one who is not posting. And so now people are maybe reaching out. Hey, did you, did you, I haven't seen you post anything. Did, did you pass? Oh, I checked the website. I didn't see your name. Do you spell Ingram with an I or with an E? I'm looking for <laughs> to see. I mean, I, I took it under my maiden name. <laughs> about public humiliation, embarrassment. I mean, again, mm -hmm. all of this while you're trying to process, what am I going to do for employment? You know, my job, right. my right. livelihood depends upon this exam. And so what ends up happening is you pivot into some other career. And this is the part, likely a career that's much lower paying than the career you anticipated getting as a lawyer. Not saying all law lawyers have lucrative paying jobs now. Hear You're me, right. hear me yeah. out on that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we have a lot of people in the uh, public interest sector that are doing wonderful, great, great work, you know. But even if you're you were planning to do that, now you're not able to. Your public student loan forgiveness may not be able to kick in. So now you're in a field where that that's not an option to help you offset your student loan debt. And another statistic, Lloyd, that I don't know if you're aware of or not, but it's it's out there and it's readily available is disproportionately black students are taking on much more debt to go to law school and even undergrad than their white counterparts. Oh, yeah. So now we're compounding this problem that I've graduated from law school. I've got this debt. I can't practice law to pay the debt down. And now I've got to go get a job so mm -hmm. that I can eat and keep a roof over my head right. and take care of my family. And I also need to find time to study for the bar again. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I most of the people after they don't pass the first time that I know they are working at least 40 hours a week right, to do something else. So now what we tell people is don't work while you're studying for the bar, but now in your retake, <laughs> you have to work. And sometimes yeah. it's even, uh, and then sometimes you're working in positions like as a law clerk in the courts. And so you're seeing lawyers every day. And, um, you know, and these jobs are not easy positions. You're, you're, you know, you're having to be 
you're having to be on and thinking and you know mentally using that energy and then so you get off get off at you know 5 p.m it's like grab something to eat and then go study for the bar it's it's it takes a toll and then your weekends your you know six more months on your weekend you gotta that's all you're gonna devote yourself to it is very very hard and that's why i say when you have and then you're operating under this i didn't pass the first time what's to say i'm gonna pass this time you know that that's nagging at you and i think you have to have you, you definitely have to have some coaching around the mental health aspect of it that second and third time around not just you know when you're you're sitting for it that first time because it's it definitely um it's it's a lot you're like you say you're seeing your friends have gone on and they're announcing i just you know got this job at this firm and and all these great things are working out for them and you're still playing catch up so it's hard yeah, uh, I think that's a perfect place for us to put a pin in the conversation. It is hard. Uh, and you know, to compound that with being a, a student from an underrepresented background, uh, a student of color, uh, a first generation student, a student that does not come from this, you know, very luxurious uh, lifestyle where you have the beach houses and everything else. You know, I was that student. Uh, and so being able to have people like you as a resource, uh, absolutely being able to ask questions, you know, having a mentor, um, uh, listening to a podcast episode to break it down for you. All of this is extremely helpful. And so Yolanda, thank you for the work that you do. And thank you for sharing all these gems with us today. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Yes.